When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Chinwag Podcast. I am your host, Paul Giamatti, and joining me once again, Dr. Smooth, Mr. <laughs> Smooth himself. Dr. Smooth. Dr. Smooth. Dr. Smooth. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that's how I want to be addressed from here henceforth is Dr. Smooth. Absolutely. Can I call you doctor? I call you professor all the time. Can I I can actually call you doctor? You can call me you? doctor too. I do have a doctorate in philosophy. And, and um so I am sometimes nervous about using doctor because people might think I need to save somebody's life in an emergency. But I understand. I am a professor. I Very understand. valuable. With right. your spiritual needs. You've never found yourself needing to leap up in a theater and saying, you know, somebody says, is there a doctor of philosophy in the house? Really? Yeah, minister existential yeah. Everybody insights. stand back. I'm a doctor <laughs> <Yes>. of philosophy. <laughs> Give the guy air. Let me, let me. No, no, I'm let good. Let me talk to him about his imminent demise. Well, that's relevant today. It is. It's demise. actually very relevant, actually, because we have a really, really amazing, wonderful guest today, uh, a journalist and an author. Uh, she has had a lifelong interest in death. Yes. And all things related to death. Her name is Haley Campbell, a fascinating woman. And she's written a wonderful book called All the Living and the Dead. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to be talking to her about that because she gets into sort of the whole world of death in terms of the people who have to deal with death. Yeah, she uh, interviews like uh, actual, I mean, there's a ton of people who work in the death industry that mm -hmm. are completely hidden behind this cultural curtain, you know, that we're afraid to look at. But she goes and interviews them. They turn out to be some fascinating characters. Very so fascinating. Morticians, right. autopsies, all that Guys stuff. who work in crematoriums, guys who clean up uh, crime scenes, things like that. Cryogenic chambers, freezing. Cryogenic chambers. Yeah. Steve, do you think Walt Disney's head is in a chamber underneath the Magic Castle? I hope, I hope so. I, I hope, hope so, he's too. <laughs> I really hope so. I really hope that when the time comes, he and Ted Williams will be brought back to life. Because isn't Ted Williams' head in a jar somewhere? That legend is, but I don't want, don't quote me on this. But you did tell me you were willing to be frozen. And I'm wondering, just the head or you want the whole body, the whole shebang? Well, that's an interesting question. I suppose I would want maybe the, well, no. Why would I want the whole shebang when I could get a new body? <laughs> So Good why don't upgrade. I just, just the head, just the head will do me. I don't know the whole thing. I don't understand how the hell that's supposed to work, but uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get into that a bit with, uh, with uh, Haley Campbell. But uh, before we do that, uh, just a friendly reminder, right, Steve? Yes. People, please go and rate us if you like the show. And uh, if you're still here listening to us, you must have some interest <laughs> in this really, yeah. yeah, you're a masochist or something. So give us a good rating over at Apple and uh, give us feedback, too. We love, we're starting to get letters and uh, yeah. comments and we're starting to answer them, too. And it's yeah. really fun. So It's very nice it to coming. get comments and stuff from you because there's a yeah. lot of really interesting stuff coming in. Anyway, all that uh, kind of house cleaning businesses aside, let's move on to talk to Haley Campbell about her book. All the Living and the Dead, and about her thoughts about death. Uh, and by the way, uh, friends, as we uh, 
embark on this conversation with Haley, uh, a word of uh, caution. We do get into some uh, some uh, intense territory, areas. sensitive yes. areas. We get in this, we talk about some pretty intense stuff. We're talking about death, and we get into some uh, sensitive areas. So for people who uh, who might not want to listen to this stuff, just a word of caution. Yes, I mean it's inevitable to get into this, but uh, be be forewarned. Mm -hmm. Be forewarned that uh, things could get a little things get a little dark in this conversation. Oh, my stars, Steve. My stars and stripes. We have some exciting news. Shall we tell them? We should reveal that Shinwag is hitting the road again and going on a West Coast tour. Yes, that's right. If you missed us in your fair city, truly, friends, don't fret, don't fear, don't have a panic attack. <laughs> Do not panic. We will be recording live Chinwags in May in Los Angeles, Portland, and Seattle. Yes, in L.A. we'll be at Dynasty Typewriter on May 14th. You can go to chinwagpod.fm slash Los Angeles for tickets. And on May 16th, we're going to be in Portland at Revolution Hall. For those tickets, go to chinwag.fm slash Portland. And we'll be at Town Hall, the great town hall in Seattle on May 17th. For tickets to that, go to chinwagpod.fm slash Seattle. You do not want to miss this. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be mighty, mighty. So get your tickets at chinwagpod.fm, and we will see you there. Come on out, waggers. Come out, waggers. Come out. <laughs> Come out of hiding. <laughs> Hello, Haley. Hi. Thank you Hi. so much for having me. No, it's our pleasure. It's a real pleasure. Uh, welcome to is, the Chinwag. Yeah, welcome to the Chinwag. Your book is great. Your book is really awesome. Thank you. Yeah, really, really Everyone fantastic. Everyone should buy th this book. Absolutely. Get out there and buy that book. It's really fantastic. I want to ask you something that's slightly off topic, though, first of all, which is, do you still sleepwalk? Are you still a sleepwalker? I am. How did you know this? Aha! We see, do our research here. See, see, deep dive, deep dive. I'm just very. I'm, I have my. I have my ways of finding out, and I'm fascinated by like crazy sleep things. Yeah. I'm fascinated by sleep paralysis and all kinds of things like that. And I and sleepwalking is something super interesting to me. I. It's terrifying. Yeah. And do you still do you still experience it? I do. Um. So. Yeah, it, it's not as bad as it used to be. Like there was a point in my life where I was trying to escape my apartment while nude. Um, oh my and it, God. Really? <laughs> and it, yeah, it got to a point where uh, like my boyfriend at the time um, woke up in the night and I was pulling posters off the wall. And then I tried to leave the flat and we lived in Brixton in London oh, sure. and it was three in the morning. And so then he started having to like lock me in at night wow. and hide the key. But Amazing. now it's more like, um, you know, I will unpot pot plants or... Um, <laughs> just That's wake up random. Just, Those goddamn plants. You're just waking up. I know. Fascinating. And Wait, did you? No, go ahead, I was just going to say, did you when you when you woke up the next day and your boyfriend told you you were doing this? Did you have any dream recollection 
Like, was there any remembrance of it? Yeah, was it like a blackout or yeah. something? You just don't have any. Sometimes it's a blackout, but sometimes it's a memory of having a perfect, perfectly reasonable conversation with someone and them not understanding. Like the other night, um, my current boyfriend, so a different one, um, said, I woke up in the middle of the night and I looked at him dead in the eye and I said, I am fully awake. I'm fully awake. I'm not sleepwalking. I just, I have to tell you something. And he's like in, you know, he's got the, the duvet up to his chin. He's like, what, what, what is it? And, and apparently I leaned in and I said, you've got shit on your head. Ooh. And then and he, I'm like, hold still. And I tried to wipe it away and I went, oh, it's just your hand. And then apparently I conked out immediately. Amazing. Wow. I don't know where this comes from. That's fascinating. And did you do anything to treat it or anything? Do you do anything to go to like a sleep lab or anything like that? Is there anything you can do for it? I mean, I know I know Mike Berbiglia. Who I, who, oh, yes. Oh, he has this problem, right? I know Mike Berbiglia, and he has an extreme form of this where he will literally like jump out a window. Yeah, his, his book was a cautionary tale to yes, me. Yes, indeed. All the stuff he, about how you have to tell the hotel yeah. that you have this problem so they can put you on the ground floor. I'm supposed to do all that. Wow. I don't do it. Really? So you have it that you have it enough that it's like, it's, it's a concern that it's like- I'm Not you, as bad as Mike. I've never thrown myself out of a window. Mike has he, to be- He did that? He went out a window? Yeah, he I think did. he went out a window. He Holy has to sleep God. in a restraining sort of like snuggly <laughs> thing. He has to wear. I don't know if he still has to do that, but I think he's had. I think he's had sort of treatment for it. I think he's had yeah. things that have kind of helped him out with it. Yeah, if you ask doctors about this, they're just like, "Are you stressed?" And you go, "Yeah," and they go, "Well, try and be less stressed," <laughs> and then they send you home. Interesting. So it's yeah. a result of stress. I had a friend who was going to have a little birthday party for another mutual friend of ours. So she buys a chocolate cake. She brings it home, puts it in the <laughs> fridge. Later that night, she goes to sleep. She wakes up and the cake is gone. Boom. And she's like, somebody fucking <laughs> just came in and ate the cake. cake. <laughs> and then she like sees us in the garbage and she's like, I don't understand. And then she goes to brush her teeth. There's cake all over her mouth. <laughs> really? She yeah. just fucking chowed the cake Ate down. the whole fucking thing. Well, that would happen apparently on Ambien a lot. If you took Ambien, oh. you would like make, you would like, you know, cook a fucking chicken and then you'd just like, hey, hey, and just eat the whole thing. I've made elaborate salads while sleepwalking. Oh, really? Really? Yeah, just, but not eating them, just made them and then made <laughs> like, the, made a mess of the kitchen and then going back to bed. And woken up in the morning, like someone fucking broke into my house and made ben, a salad. And made a salad. Fantastic. <laughs> well, I, I wow. read that you, that like, First thing I read was that it's like the front of your brain goes to sleep and the limbic system is awake when this is happening. But then I read that it happens not during REM sleep, but in non-REM sleep is where it more often happens. And I'm thinking like, what if there's just like nothing going on? Like you're just a machine making a salad, like no fucking consciousness at all. That's creepy. Have you ever spoken to a person who's sleepwalking? No. There, it is like there's nothing going on. It is like they're a, a robot. Because there wow. was yeah. my brother, my brother and my sister both sleepwalk. So there was a time when I was growing up that all three of us were just wandering the house in the <laughs> middle of the night. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. Just everybody just wandering around the house making salads and jumping out the window. My <laughs> brother was <laughs> peeing in the bin <laughs> because awesome. it had a flipped up lid. See, I love stuff like that. That's so crazy. The whole family. Fascinating. That's fascinating to me. The only only experience I've ever had, sorry, well, get off of sleep hogging, man. I just was like, <laughs> the only experience, I lived in this crazy, creepy, gigantic house on a university campus. My dad taught at a university and, and 
And there were a million bedrooms in this place because there'd be like visiting professors and stuff would stay in this bedroom. So a lot of the bedrooms were empty. And one day I woke up in a different bedroom and I was lying perfectly with my arms at my side, <laughs> like I was in a coffin. And the blankets, <laughs> the blankets and sheets were pulled up perfectly in my chin and they were tucked in. <laughs> <laughs> fucking like you're in hospital. Yeah, and I was like, how the fuck did I get into this bed? And the cheats are still tucked in. Anyway, that was that was a friend of mine thought that was proof I was uh, abducted by aliens. Yeah, but not sleepwalking. That was abducted by aliens. Or your parents were really messing with you. Or my somebody was fucking with me. Or I was, but that's the only experience I've ever had where I was like, what the fuck just happened? I'm in a different part of the house, and I'm. I have those all the time. So, Do you really? You wake up somewhere else in the house? Well, not somewhere else. I'll just, but like with the the pot plant thing, like I woke up with soil all over my hands, like like in oh. pet cemetery. Yeah, <laughs> he oh, wakes wow. up with like his feet covered in soil. Oh yeah. Uh, and you go, what is this? And it, it took some investigation, wandering around the flat to figure out Fantastic. what I had done, where I had been. This is kind of a a good segue because you're you're when we read the book, you know, we discovered that your childhood was kind of strange in the sense that you had a lot of acquaintance with death imagery and so forth. Maybe you should tell us a little bit how you got into, like how you got comfortable with death as a kind of phenomenon and the images and stuff. <laughs> Are you comfortable with death? That's a whole other question. Yeah, that is a good one. But I also grew up around uh, cartoonists and you'd know all about them with um, American Splendor. We, That's right. by the way, my dad is the cartoonist Eddie Campbell and we- Yes, uh, no, I know, yes. We agreed a long time ago that American Splendor was the best comic book movie. Absolutely. Really? Oh, that's yeah, awesome. It really that's was. really nice to hear. That's great. Thank you very much. It, it, it does it well. It captures something. Yeah. It really does. And uh, I, I always loved it because, you know, I'm also a big fan of Robert Crumb. I, I piggybacked him through Soho a few years ago. Yeah, <laughs> Why not? Sure. We did, yeah. <laughs> so I grew up like around cartoonists who are weird guys. Yeah. And um, my dad was working on a book called From Hell with Alan mm -hmm. Moore, which is about um, Jack the Ripper. And um, so I, while he was drawing all this stuff, there were, you know, autopsy pictures and crime scene photographs everywhere. And I, I, I was never frightened or grossed out about them. I just wanted to know what was going on. And and also I thought all dads were doing this. It was only when my friends <laughs> yeah. came over and they're like, right. what is it? Like, I, I couldn't understand that, you know, other people's dads weren't at home just drawing dead ladies all day. <laughs> but uh, I, I would ask him questions about stuff and it was like practical, basic stuff. You know, I was obsessed with skeletons, but it was that kind of stuff I wanted to see. I, I wanted to know what happened to bodies when they, they went in the ground and how they became skeletons. And um, because I went to a Catholic school, I found out that you're not supposed to ask questions about that because the priest would, well, he'd always talk about heaven, but also he'd get pissed off with you. So I got kicked out of the class that you go to in order to get your Holy Communion. So I never got that because I... Uh, you know, the priest didn't like me. He actually told my parents, stop bringing her here. She's only... <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> really? She's only coming here for the cookies, which was true. Um... <laughs> but your Catholic thing, the Catholics have a weird thing about death. Like, they're both, you know, if you go to Italy, it's just death and dismemberment everywhere. But yeah. then you go to Catholic school and they're like, this doesn't happen. We live forever. Yeah. Go away, you know. But also death is like the goal because heaven is the goal. So mm -hmm. it's the thing you're working towards. But but it's like the body doesn't really matter. Even though there are these holy relics and these yeah. know, things. Um, I found it 
confusing because it felt like they were hiding things from me. And um, I don't like it when people hide things from me. <laughs> and so uh, I just grew up going, like wanting to know the answers to all these things and wanting to see stuff. And it's really, really hard to see dead bodies. Um, uh-huh. You know, they, they're not we didn't have open coffin funerals, even though I have had, um, you know, I, I had friends die when I was a kid. I'd mm-hmm. go to the, the funeral and it would just be a coffin. You didn't see You didn't them. see them. And so as a kid, it's really, I found it really, really hard to focus on what was happening in the actual funeral. And the fact that my friend had died because I was right. looking at the coffin going, what is in there? And yeah. does she look like, because you know, yeah. I watched zombie movies and I'd seen all sure. these pictures on my dad's drawing board. So yeah. I had, you know, I had this place where people could have given me information, but instead they told me not to talk about it. So I filled it as that space as best I could mm-hmm. with nonsense from horror movies. <laughs> and sure. I, I made this, I paid, painted this picture that was so much worse than anything that could have been in that box. And did you have an awareness of your own death too? Were you saying this is going to happen to me? I mean, at what point were you aware that like, oh yeah, I'm going to die and that's what this means. And did you have any sense of that too? As I well think as I've looking always had that. So you like, always had this sense because I'm always intrigued that some kids seem to register that and then some mm. kids just don't for a while. Yeah. But some kids seem to really be like, oh fuck, I'm going to be dead. This is going to be me. Yeah. And a lot of people I interviewed for the book remember the moment where they mm. found out. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't remember that. And um, I did ask my dad, was there a moment, did you try and tell me? And, and it just seems like it was always there. And I never had a, a special moment where I was, you know, going to live forever. And then I wasn't. It's just, right. I, I, it's always been a practical thing. So I, I just, it pissed me off that people wouldn't talk about it. And then what about like you're, you know, in school, uh, were your peers like, oh, you, you know, you're creepy, <laughs> don't, you know, <laughs> you know, or were they like, yeah, let's find out? Because I think Paul's right. It's a minority of people who are interested in looking directly at death. And yeah. in fact, we try to, we all try to avoid it as much as possible, you know. We do. But, um, so I had a friend whose mom was a nurse and in nursing school at the time, she was an older mom and and she had had to procure her own human skull for some reason uh, for study and she still had it and so whenever I went over to the friend's house I'd be like can I see the skull mm-hmm. and and they'd get it out of the cupboard and then we you know a few years later in high school because because when I was asking to see the skull I would have been about 10 and then <laughs> in high school we were told to bring in um, an item for a still life class and people were bringing in apples and bananas and I had gone to my friend's <laughs> because mom the skull. Absolutely, yeah. because the old still life paintings sure. all yeah. had skulls all had in them a skull. absolutely and, yeah. and I was like I'll be the that is going to be super cool Hell my teacher yeah. will love me I brought it in and everybody freaked out. Sure. Um, they said, don't touch that. You'll get death germs off it. Oh, God. And um, I got detention for bringing this thing in and I had to take it home immediately. That's the the tradition of memento mori. All those yeah. paintings, the Vanitas stuff. Remember like death. It's supposed to remind, yeah, remind yeah, you totally. of your own death. So then you're, yeah. so you'll be a more virtuous person, I guess, in part, right? Yeah. 
And I thought it was a bit rich of the Catholic school to give me detention when that is a religion that keeps yeah. like severed hands yeah, in Belgium. Like, the tooth yeah. of a saint, I mean, you know, yeah. Exactly. Sort of like, but the whole open casket thing is very Catholic, isn't it? I was not raised Catholic, so I don't really know this stuff. But I mean, isn't the sort of looking at the body and, and stuff like that in, in the open casket, isn't that a very, it's not, Catholics do that, don't they? I think they do in America, not yeah. in Australia, not in the UK. Okay. You can go and see them, and they call them in the Chapel of Rest, which is just a, like a little uh, religious, but only if you want it to be room at the back of a funeral home where you can go and see them before the actual funeral. Um, but most people don't go and see their people. They go, I don't see there's any point. The Catholics, are they against cremation? Or are you supposed no. to be? There's not anything that says you can't cremate people and no. stuff like that. Ah. No, it's fine. I was a um, an altar boy. So I was raised Catholic too. And I was an altar boy for many years. My brothers and I would go and serve. And we would serve at funerals. Some people would have the casket open. Some would be closed. And I remember being creeped out. And also I remember I remember being annoyed that the priest would say things like, you know, your loved one's not dead. Your loved one lives mm -hmm. forever. Mm. And and I remember being sort of, then I, I was kind of, I sort of went through an atheist phase. I, I'm still kind of in it. But I, I remember think now I'm thinking like, yeah, I kind of actually want to hear that with my loved ones. Like I'm sort of more into denial now. Now you, now yeah. you yeah. feel that way? Yeah. Really? I do. I really? do. I'm yes. surprised to hear that. I get that. I envy people who mm -hmm. believe that. Yeah. Because it sounds nice. Yeah. It's beautiful. But I don't believe it. I don't think I do either, but I really no. want to hear it. Oh, it gets yeah. on my nerves. All that kind of like funeral home talk and priest talk of like they're they're happy now and stuff gets on my nerves, actually. I don't love it. It does. And actually, there's a real absence of that in a lot of the people you talk to because it's a practical way of dealing with death. There isn't a lot of this sort of... The workers. Yeah. yeah. And they a lot of them hate the euphemisms that are yeah. used in the, in the funeral industry, which I hate as well. Um, you know, even things as basic as, you know, embalming is called the, a hygienic treatment over here. So people mm -hmm. think that's just like washing the body and, oh. and, um, and it's not, it's far more invasive and it's not always required. And so people end up agreeing to expensive things that just because they don't know what right. they're agreeing what to. What it means. Right. Yeah. So it's dodgy, I think, in a way that could be, um, you know, less of a problem if you just straight up said what the issue was. Yeah. Well, you talk about the embalming process and it is like, well, the question I had when I was reading it is like, why do we try to preserve bodies and sort of turn them into these rubberized versions <laughs> that last for, you know, forever. It doesn't make sense at all. Then you're hiding at six feet underground and you're never going to see it again. Exactly. You, you know, yeah. I went in with that same opinion because I've read Jessica Mitford's The American Way of Death, which mm -hmm. is a great book. And it's, um, it's very bitchy and very funny it's, and it's, it's, it's kind funny. of yeah. yeah she's she's saying that the american funeral industry is preying on the vulnerable and making them get these things that buy these things they don't really need so i went into the embalming chapter with all of these opinions and it's the only chapter where i had pre-existing things of you know convince me otherwise mm -hmm. and there were I don't love the process of embalming, but I can see why people do it now. Um, if someone's been through something hugely mm -hmm. physically traumatic and mm -hmm. they're, you know, like a husband has been crushed to death in a machine, which was a story um, I was told, but she needs to see him in order to go, right, he's dead and mm -hmm. I need to get on with grieving. 
it's a bit difficult to show someone a mashed up body. Mm. So, and they're not going to make them perfect, but they've got something to say goodbye to. So there's that reason. There's also the fact that when a disaster team is put together for like a tsunami or um, some mass fatality situation, I didn't know that part of that disaster team was an embalming group. Really? Because you can't just post bodies back. Uh You need to preserve them because somebody at the other end is going to be receiving them at the airport. So they're part of this hugely important disaster team. I just thought from Jessica Mitford's book, they're kind of creepy people who are trying to squeeze money out of people. But it's far more emotional and it's more than just um, the chemicals that putting through the body to preserve them. There's the fact that they're finding out what perfume this person wore when they Uh, were alive uh so that they can they can spray them because they said it's all about trying to trigger emotions and they're never Uh going to get the person just right. I loved the story. Um, It was this like middle-aged guy who was quite like, I expected to see him more in a pub or something. He didn't strike me as what I would think an embalmer would look like. And he was telling me that whenever he was embalming someone, um, he has to do their makeup as well. They don't have like a, a separate makeup person here. <laughs> and and he said it was, he'd kind of have to play detective because he'd get the little old lady's handbag. He'd right. ask for it right. and he'd go through it and find the makeup that she right. used all the time, the right. things that were used down to the nub, the thing, uh-huh. you know, the the lipstick that was barely in the in the tube That's anymore. And he, and he would try and put together her face uh, because you know, an old lady, she'll do her face up before she leaves the house. And, and if you see her without that, it won't yeah, she won't yeah. look as no, you remember. She won't be her. The same. Not at all. Though yeah. so it was far more delicate and caring than what I had been led to believe. I'm sure there is the side of the the industry that Mitford talked about, but the guy I interviewed was um he was really tender with her. It was really yes. nice. I don't wonder that at some level, too, there isn't some deep psychological need to think. In some sense, they're still there. The body is still there. The body still looks like them, and it's down there. And when I stand there, I can imagine that they're there. And, mm. you know, and for some people, probably a sense of maybe not literal, but resurrection. Like, well, they could come back. And if I see them, they're still going to look. If I go to heaven, they're still going to look the same. And their body is going to be the same. Maybe? Yeah, I think so. I I mean, I live near Highgate Cemetery Mm. in in London, and that's the site of a famous exhumation because Gabriel Rossetti um, hadn't written anything in years, I think. And but what he had done is he had buried a book of poetry with his uh-huh. wife, Christina. Uh-huh. And then, uh, you know, they were like, what are we going to publish now? And he said, well, all my work, I buried it with my wife. Um, and so they dug her up for the book. Really? And uh, in the middle of the night, and they told him her red, she's the one, you know her from the paintings. She's the um, the one with the red hair uh-huh. in the pre-Raphael oh, yeah, paintings. yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. They dug her up and they told him she looked exactly the same, except her hair had grown to fill the coffin. Oh, God. <laughs> which is bullshit. <laughs> really? <laughs> it is Which bullshit. is that your hair won't keep growing? No. The, the skin pulls back. From, so it looks like it grows. So it right? looks like it's grown a little bit, but it definitely wouldn't have grown to fill the coffin. No. But that's something they told a grieving man oh. having ordered the exhumation of his wife, <laughs> which is a horrible thing to do. Yeah. 
But well, there are these little most, lies. That, right, the, the, exactly. It's a comforting <laughs> thing to him to think that his wife's. It's interesting. That's interesting. So it's the skin retracting that then. That's interesting. Yeah. So it'll look like your beard has grown, and it really well, hasn't. One of the one of the dead bodies I've seen in my life was at a was at a Jewish funeral uh, where they you know they they bury the body pretty quickly. It's all happening pretty quickly, and so you could go into the room next door and look at the body if you wanted to. And uh, I was with my son. Uh, it was my father-in-law. And we were both like, do you want to go look at the body? And we were kind of like, yeah. I mean, it felt really prurient and kind of yeah. creepy, but we were like, I think we should go look at the body, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, so we went, but it was interesting because I thought I've never seen him unshaven in my life. And he had five o'clock shadow. He had sort of oh. whiskers growing, which was really shocking and strange to see because he was a very immaculate man. Yeah, he should have shaved him. It's these little things that, yeah. that's what you remember now. Yes. Everybody it's remembers totally what the, I remember. the different thing. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so they try and make them look as you remember them. Yeah. Have you ever wondered why we call French fries French fries? Or why something is the greatest thing since sliced bread? There are answers to those questions. Everything Everywhere Daily is a podcast for curious people who want to learn more about the world around them. Every day, you'll learn something new about things you never knew you didn't know. Subjects include history, science, geography, mathematics, and culture. If you're a curious person and want to learn more about the world you live in, just subscribe to Everything Everywhere Daily wherever you cast your pod. One of the things that happens in the, in your book is you begin to see how Americans in particular are very resistant to uh, the the decay death. of the body. Yeah, to acknowledging death at all. Yeah. To, yeah. We're addicted yeah. to beauty standards. I was in on Thailand and I was hiking around and came across this uh, monk who was meditating in a cave. He was doing a rains retreat, a monastic tradition he was from bangkok and he was in the jungle for like just the rain season and he was looking he was meditating and he had basically like a drawing kind of a bad painting of a corpse on the wall and he would just sit there looking at it like mm. meditating on it all day and i thought this is so un-american yeah 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 uh, there's traditions in, in tibetan and in some tibetan buddhism you're supposed to actually spend the night with a dead body i think yeah you're actually supposed to sleep in a room with a dead body and and they keep the dead body a lot of the time when it dies they'll keep the body in the corner for quite a while and feed it and do all that like reading yeah. the book of the dead to it yeah. and stuff like that <laughs> and those cultures where they bring where they preserve the body and bring it out and like yeah, I think in indonesia and, indonesia and i just saw in new guinea a picture of a guy who had he was a chieftain and he had the like, chieftain from 200 years ago still that they would bring out. Wow, which really? That seems like, if I'm, I, and if you're going to preserve it, bring it out. Use yeah, it. Yeah, there's like, a reason bring it to out. be yeah. preserved. Yeah, yeah. no, it's, it's sort of like, I get that. It's like, okay, yeah. Bring, yeah, trot it out. Bring it out. Yeah, Wait, but like, I think this is why I like the idea of cremation because I d there's no point to being preserved indefinitely and then put in the ground. And I find that creepy. And it, I don't like the idea of them like building um, tunnels for trains and digging me up or something oh, yeah. in the yeah, future. That's true. Yeah. So I like the idea of getting out of the way and no one can touch me. Uh-huh. But con conversely, the Americans, why do the British seem to be so macabre? And, and ah, or at least ah, we think of them as being macabre, yes. and we think of them as having this more kind of like <laughs> thing about sort of like <laughs> death and Jack the Ripper and stuff like that. I mean, it, it's a cliche about them, maybe, or a generalization, but it seems like it's a culture that it's at least 
maybe more comfortable with death? I don't know. Absolutely not. I think no. I think yeah. the the British are worse off than the really? Americans. More repressed. Far more repressed. Well, yeah, that's a given. Talk- I've just. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. But just talking to people after my book came out, Americans seem to want an invitation to talk about death. Right. They are desperate to talk about it. Whereas the British, so many people, when I told them what my book is about, they've kind of gone, "Why?" Whereas Americans go. Oh, let me oh, tell cool. you about all the dead bodies uh, I've seen. Interesting. Let me ask that you makes about sense. this. Like it, I found it amazing. I find Americans are much more comfortable talking about it and being open with it. Fascinating. Um, here, it's been it's been kind of an uphill battle. <laughs> I've, I've written this book trying to get people to talk about it, but not just talk about it in a you know let's have cake and and talk about grief way. I want mm-hmm. people to talk about their fears of decomposition and and you know, what they want. To, to know about. And the Americans are much more interested in getting into it. I cannot explain you people. Believe me, and it's getting harder and harder to explain <laughs> <Yeah>. us. <laughs> only, we're only getting weirder. You were talking in the book about um, uh, Ernest Becker and this theory mm. called denial of death, which I, I think is something I really like. And, and I know he developed this in the 70s, and then it's become something called a terror management theory. There's sort of a version of it now that's called terror management theory. And I, it, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's something like all of culture is in many ways a way of denying or distracting ourselves from death. Is that a mm-hmm. fair? So like yeah. science, art, everything. Well, yeah. like everything yeah. is a way to avoid. I've always thought ur- urbanization was a way of like just staving off death, kind of staving off time and death. Build stuff. Yeah. Yeah, just That's, build shit. Build build shit and put lights and street lights so it's not the nighttime, it's daytime. You know what I mean? It's just all of this like, no, 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 everything's fine. We've got control of everything. You know what I mean? It's that kind That's of why thing. everyone lost their minds when they were locked down and they couldn't do all the stuff that keeps them busy mentally and physically. And it's why I found, um, cause I'm, I was still in contact with all the people who were working in the, um, mortuaries. Uh, I was messaging them going, what's happening. Yeah. And they were stressed, but I found that they dealt with it better because they felt like they were helping. Um, wow. and I, I think it's a bit like Fred Rogers says, look for the helpers. Um, they were the helpers, so they had something to do. Whereas we were sitting at home, I was writing a book about death, going, "Oh my god!" Wow. <laughs> um, but yeah, it just wow, yeah, perfect, yeah. But we weren't doing anything that actually made any difference, made difference at that yeah. point. Do you do you think that? I mean, you say something towards the end of your book. To I mean, I'm paraphrasing, but I don't that that to some extent these people with this kind of hands-on, constant contact with death process trauma better maybe generally trauma better at least the trauma of death better do you think they actually do or are they numb to it hmm. I, don't, I went in <laughs> thinking they would be numb to it but i think uh, i the conclusion i came to is that they all saw the same things we saw and it's not that they were cool with it it's that they had figured out a way to be okay enough to keep doing their job mm-hmm. and also i found that each person had something that they wouldn't do. Mm-hmm. Oh. <clears throat> like the the uh, the guy in the crematorium, when I told him, because I tell them about each other as no. a way of getting them to talk. And they all had their one little thing that they were doing. And I think that 
is the key. They had this slim little picture of death. They weren't seeing all the horror at once. They were just working on their one little thing. Uh And they all were looking at me like I was crazy because I was trying to look at all of it. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that they, they kind of make peace with it in their mind because they are bettering things in their one little patch. They're not trying to fix everything. They're not hearing everybody's sob stories. It was a really tricky balance. And um, some people had a better balance than others. And um, it took me a long time to try and figure out how to get all the pictures right in my head because there were things I saw that knocked me down mm-hmm. and other things I was completely fine with. But like, the, it was strange seeing what other people were not okay with. Like the mm-hmm. man in the crematorium thought it was really weird that I um, dressed a dead man for his funeral. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. he, he was like, "Why would you do that?" And I'm like, mm-hmm. "You, you've spent thirty years in a basement burning bodies, <laughs> yeah. shoving people in here." Yeah. yeah, yeah. But he was like, "No, I couldn't touch them." And oh. so it, it's just really weird the little limits that people put on. They have their own little defense mechanisms, and it sounds like to me, this is my sort of untutored. Well, yeah, you know that yeah. you're looking at the big picture, and like they're just looking at this slice, and that's how they keep saying. You know, like, yeah, well, that's that Shirley Jackson quote about absolute reality. You can't live yeah. with this all the time. You can't live with all of it all the time. You'll lose yeah. your mind. And it'll just, I thought it was fascinating. He didn't believe in ghosts, which I <laughs> yeah. thought was kind oh, of great. Yeah. That the guy the working down people. there, like, like shoving yeah. the, yeah, except the grieving people, yeah. ghosts, which I thought was an amazing yeah. thing to say. That was cool. But it was, but the fact that he, do you believe in ghosts? Do you believe in stuff like that? Do you subscribe? Do I to believe stuff? in ghosts? Yeah. No, no not I at don't. all. No. Zero, nothing. No ghosts. Although I, the most frightening things for me to read are ghost stories. Shirley Jackson, oh, sure. Susan Hill. For some reason, ghost stories, even though I don't believe in them, I, I can't explain it. I can't explain it. They freak me out more than anything else. But you you've never experienced them and you don't believe in them. That's interesting. I don't believe it. I've been left alone in rooms with dead bodies right. and not being freaked out. They're just, right. I, I don't find dead bodies frightening at all. But do you think a spirit departs yeah, them that's or a, the just, the, it's a material machine and the machine is wound down? That's the, you know what I mean? Like, which? I think, I think it's a material machine and the machine is wound down. It's just a meat machine with these weird, bzz, 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 like little yeah. electrical sparks, yeah. just animated but, meat. Well, when you say it like that. <laughs> well, but I mean, that's, a, yeah. <laughs> but I don't think that is an, unmagical idea Mm -hmm. of what a person is. I Mm -hmm. find like the thing I get from being around, you know, seeing the autopsies or even being in um, medical museums, like the the Muta Museum in Philadelphia Mm -hmm. or the Hunterian here, Mm -hmm. is that you see all these pieces of people in jars and you go, it is fucking magic that any of that works. works. And I I don't think you need to bring in religion and souls and spirits to Uh make that magical. I think science is incredible. Fascinating enough that it's brain chemicals and little electrical charges are just making this stack of meat walk around (laughs) and do stuff. Stack of meat. That's no, that's incredible. I loved the, 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 the woman in the the autopsy room who had just disemboweled a man and we were looking into his empty cavity and she said, isn't it amazing 
that all of this stuff just stays inside you and it doesn't fall out your ass. <laughs> it's true, though. It's true. But then it, it makes even you look at it makes you look at people a whole different way when you're walking down way. the street. No, whole different way. Whole different way. It's incredible, and, and that it all sort of stays where it's supposed to. That it's not like, whoops, my lungs just <laughs> like know. slipped down. You know that it all just keeps working is is actually astonishing that the heart keeps working. That all of that, that was actually when I had the realization of death as a child, it was the realization of the me mechanism stopping. I was about seven and I was like, oh, I'm not going to be breathing anymore. I won't have this yeah. breathing happening anymore. It wasn't anything other than that's weird. That that feels uncomfortable and terrible to not be breathing and things like that. It was all a very kind of physical thing. It wasn't this sort of Well, the the breath of uh breath was considered by the Greeks to be like this special element, like it called a pneuma. Uh, and it was, or anima. So like, sure. you have the four elements, but then you have this breath, which is the soul. And then- Oh, and it's a different thing yeah. from the four elements. That's just yeah. air. It's I like, mean, Plato it's something Plato thought else. it goes on and that's what influenced religion. But Aristotle just thought, <laughs> yeah, then it's done. You know, oh. and it's over. Oh, so it's a kind of, like a soul or something a little bit. Yeah, like we, we, we interpret that word to mean psychology, but psyche really was more like this- almost like a respiration, you know, like the activating principle of the body. But I was wondering, uh, Haley, if you, because you make some very oblique reference to this, but did you perceive that men and women uh, have a different view on death? Because I know you talk about it a little bit, but what was your take on that? I, yeah, there were different angles on this one. I, I asked the crime scene cleaner if men and women kill themselves in different ways. Oh. And he said, yes. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting. How so? What was the difference? He said, men make a mess and women don't. <laughs> men, men like a shotgun suicide, whereas oh women, God. women, he said, and he said, it was something like women seem to tiptoe out. Um, it's less histrionic. There's less histrionics yeah, on the way it'll out. Be, It'll be pills or razors in in the uh -huh. bath, whereas uh -huh. men leave a mess. And that was just from I don't know how that stacks up with statistics, but that was just from him cleaning houses. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I found that even when I was just talking to publishers, if there was a man in the room and I was talking about death and dead bodies, he'd kind of like start squirming. Whereas the women would lean in and go and. Right, and then what happened? And then what happened to the body? <laughs> and women seem to. You know, it's well written about that women love true crime stuff. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I think that is a different thing. Maybe that's trying to understand what the monster and, you know, get as close as you possibly can to the thing that you're frightened of. But mm -hmm. I do think that generally speaking, women seem to have a closer relationship to the the just the viscera of being mm -hmm. alive, the blood. They were giving birth, they, childbirth. Hundred percent. Yeah, just, totally. Yeah. And they seem to have a more practical approach to it, whereas the men I spoke to were more talking about souls and spirits, whether it's the women were quite practical with That's it. That's amazing. And I, That's awesome. I really liked that. But yeah. and if you read anything about the increase of women working in the funeral industry, which is true, but I think that is just, there's an increase in women working in every industry. Yeah. So you, but there's a lot of stuff about how it's because women want to be funeral directors because they're more in touch with their emotional side. And any, I, I put that to a lot of women in the funeral industry and all of them rolled their eyes. I <laughs> and I yeah. agree with them because I've met horrible women and I've met really tender men. So I think it just, 
I, I really don't think that I'm has all, any. I, I always say, I, I measure that by, and I, I read something that you loved, like Daphne du Maurier, and you like that's kind of like, yeah. and I always find, because I love reading stuff like that. And mm -hmm. I always find that the women's books are way more disturbing, way darker, so much. way more willing to go to a much more fucked up dark place, way less yeah. sentimental about shit, yeah. way more. And it's so much better. It's They're, they're yeah. way better. I prefer crime shit written by women because they, yeah. there's no screwing around. It's really great. Yeah, well, it's and you keeping... mentioned Shelley Jackson before. I love her. Uh, me too. And she's, yeah. I mean, it's just no bullshit going on in that stuff at all. It just cuts no. right to the chase and it's terrifying. Genuinely. Oh, yes. Genuinely disturbing. <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. But, but well, you, you see too, like the, there's a, and you mentioned this as well, that uh, there's kind of a transhumanist or posthumanist movement of people who want to, and you talk about cryogenics in the book too, there's this, of course, they want their bodies back, but there's mm. a whole new wave because of AI of largely men who think they can upload their mind mm -hmm. to the mainframe and live mm -hmm. forever as a kind of platonic ghost of information. Like the body doesn't matter at all to them. And it, this seems so wrong to me, but I think it's kind of masculine. I think it's kind of a male thing. Yeah, but my brain is worth keeping mm -hmm. long after my body is gone. Right. I find it a horrifying idea. I also find it really lonely yeah. Um, yeah. and sad. What are you going to do in that platonic heaven of information? Yeah. Yeah. What, what are big thoughts are you going to bring? Uh, it, it just, I find it all quite depressing. <laughs> but of course, in the cryonics place, it was mostly men who had, had been frozen. Um, and but it was a woman looking down. after them. And, and yes. there's a woman sort of tending to them. And, and now, and, would you do that? Would you guys get yourselves frozen? Would you? Be, would Would either one of you be up for only that? because I think it's so ridiculous and hilarious? <laughs> I might do it just to have people go like, "Yeah, he's frozen. He's hanging upside down." And I, just because it's Coming so to see you. so fucking ridiculous, it makes me It'll laugh. It'll be an interesting addition to your Wikipedia. Exactly. That. Yeah, just <laughs> leave them. Leave them guessing. Leave them interested in me as I go out. One of the people I was most interested in was the crime scene cleanup guy. Oh, yeah. In in your book, who seems like, I mean, he was a challenging sounding guy anyway. <laughs> I mean, and, and the whole thing sounds, but it was interesting because it made me think a lot about, because you were talking about the photos on his website, these horrible, and, and we were talking earlier about the these incredibly visceral, disturbing photos. Have you ever been to this museum of death? Have you ever been to this museum of yeah, death? Yeah, the Hollywood? one in LA. Yeah, yeah, the one in LA. And it's yeah. like, and- it's an interesting place to me because I went a long time ago and, you know, there's incredibly disturbing pictures in there. There's the pictures of the, the, that this couple took as they murdered her husband, and it's incredibly disturbing. Uh. And they're really, really gory and really to the point where you're saying these can't be real. They're so fucked up and gory that you're like, this can't possibly be real, but they're real. And, and I always think to myself, that's different that's a different way of trying to acquaint yourself with something's different about it that I don't love. And it's like, and when I was younger, I had this thing of like, Oh God, I got to see the picture of the guy with his head blown off. Yeah. And so, and it feels very young to me still, this kind of like, I got to see the guy with his face blown to pieces. Yeah. It's voyeurism. Yeah. Voyeurism. But I found, cause I, when I was a teenager, I was, I was like that too. It was yeah. rotten.com for me in yeah. the early days of the internet. I was, I had to see the guy with his head blown off yeah. and yeah. we were all 
daring each other to look at these things. But I think I would I was doing it in a different way to the other kids. The other yeah. kids were just like going, oh, gross. And I was interested because it was all I had. Uh-huh. Pictures of like normal dead bodies weren't all over the internet. It was just nice. the horrible ones. And I like that there is a museum of death. I find it incredibly tacky. Very. Wish, but that's, that's, it's kind of a shtick is that it's super tacky. It's kind tacky. of a shtick. If, if there was a really, like a curator could do an amazing mm-hmm. thing with the stuff they have, but you go in and you just kind of feel dirty because mm-hmm. it is voyeurism. Yeah. Um, it is like, you know, even the, the gacy pictures of the clowns. Totally. It's just like pictures on the fridge, like their children's pictures. It just feels yeah. like, yeah. Um, but I go to these things. I've been, yeah. I've even been to the one in New Orleans. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I've yeah. been to two locations. Yeah. 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 Um, because I can't, even though I've seen all this stuff that I've seen for my book, I'm still interested in it. But then you have to take a shower afterwards because you yeah, yeah. You, you, and yeah, apologize to whichever yeah. friend I've taken with yeah. me. No, I just same thing. I really regretted <laughs> these two poor people I took with me. I was like, sorry guys. I just was like, but it is it's peep showy and it smells of yeah. cleaning fluid of kind of cheap cleaning fluid and it's like it's but that's its shtick in a way. Yeah, and that's what I mean. It's this kind of it's not dispensing. But that's like it's sort of turning death into a, a, a sort of grotesque. Yeah. Sp- Sticky, because it's easier to handle when it is tacky. Yes, that's 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 key. I think. Yeah, and I found that you know when I got this book deal, what I what I wanted when I was speaking to publishers was, do you want to make it into a tacky death book? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, are you going to put a pink sparkly skeleton on the front with googly eyes and like, because that's not what my book is going to be. You're going to reject my manuscript. And so I was, I really wanted to veer away from exactly what the Museum of Death is, even though that is a place I go to. Totally. And even though it has its place in some weird way, you know, but it's not, it's not a kind of respect towards death. It's this kind of like, Prurient awe in the yeah. face of like, wow, that guy's... And it's like laughing at it going, I can yes. handle this. Yeah. Like, I'm not frightened yes. of you. Yeah. Because... Do you guys remember that Body Worlds where you would mm-hmm. go to the museum and he would have like, uh, not just a skeleton, but a fully rubberized, you know, human, <laughs> yeah. you know... With the nipples. Like, yeah, yeah, with the nipples. It always and had the be, nipples on. They'd, <laughs> and they'd be like Don't riding a nipples. unicycle and like playing <laughs> cards, like playing poker. And I... When it, when it was very popular, <laughs> I actually sent away for the, because I, I was trying to interview this guy, Gunter Von Hagen. Me too. Did you get the body donation form? So I filled, I'm filling out the body donation form, which you obviously were looking at <laughs> yeah. too. Mm-hmm. But halfway through it, I had this moment, because I'm laughing, I'm thinking this is going to be hilarious. I'm going to be like yeah. a fucking guy, you know. And then I realized, <laughs> wait a minute. What if my son saw me mm. like riding yeah. a unicycle splayed <laughs> out, you know, like <laughs> All, and I was like, having, whoa, this isn't funny, you know. Or positions so you're having sex with someone who yeah, donated right. their body no, from totally. Austria or something. Totally. Like, just a different person. Yes. It's so weird. It's very weird. I, I think Gunther von Hagen's exists in his own world of... Uh, there's an argument going on um, right now with the, the Muta Museum and um, other museums here in, in London. Yeah. People are kind of freaking out. They're trying to kind of correct the misdeeds of the past by removing various exhibits. Uh-huh. How so? Yeah, what's an example? Like, yeah. So, like, what the, what the Muta is doing right now is they're trying to focus more on health and wellness and less on death. They don't want it to be a gross 
quote, gross, quirky museum anymore. They want it to be about health and wellness, which... No one's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Exactly. Why? No one's, no one's going to go. But I think if you just have health and wellness, that's like having a lavender bath. And, and <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like, that's not going to help no, you. No. I think you can't, you can't have the health without having the stakes of yeah. death. Um, yeah. It's all intertwined, and to to have a museum like the the Muta to be frightened of death and be That's crazy. be denying death um, is insanity to me, because it's one of the only places you can see this stuff. When when I was at the, when I, you talk about the Hunterian, and that's one of my favorite places too. It's like the Muta Museum, but it's in London, and the whole story there is amazing with William Hunter and John Hunter. And they, it's an anatomy museum, but ah, also I've never been there. Yeah. It's, you would love it. But I was there one time and there was a mother and her, and her son, and he was, you know, a tween or something, you know, not, not a teenager. And he's looking at one grotesque thing after another in some vitrine or some jar. And he's just going, Oh my God. Oh no. And the mother says, uh, is this disturbing? Should we go outside? And he goes, no, absolutely not. <laughs> He's like, well, correct. You must, you know, correct. Stay and look face at it like that. Yeah. Yeah. Face it like that monk. Yeah, just yeah. stand there and face yeah. it. But yeah, like the the Muta stuff. That it's it's all. Um, it gets very complicated because some people have willed parts of their body wow. to the museum. Like a man who had a heart transplant gave his huge heart uh, to the museum to so they had a heart to display. People have given their um, fetuses to the museum wow. and and they're tr they they're talking about and how is there are people the, seeing that as ethically questionable now or yeah, like so so uh -huh. it's like the the new curators are saying this is upsetting for people and it's quite challenging so we're going to hide all this stuff and so people are going well especially the mothers are saying but we gave you that yeah. for a reason right. and it, yeah. it gave meaning to my loss yeah and now you're trying to hide it because it's challenging for people. I think people should be challenged. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. I mean, I think that I I I had an, the experience of watching my mother die for 17 hours, and I wouldn't I wouldn't change that experience for the world of actually watching somebody die, your mother die. And it's like you know, I, it's 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 essential. You know, I mean, it's it's important. It's essential. It's it's. And I I came to that conclusion at the end of the book that if you you are okay enough around this stuff, then you can be there for someone when they are dying. Because yeah. I've spoke to so many people who have let family members die alone in hospitals because oh, they couldn't face it. God. They didn't want the large, last image. I've had messages from people saying, I've read your book and now I regret it. And mm. I've had other ones saying, I've read your book, but I'm still glad I didn't. Wow. It's so subjective, but um, I'm glad you wouldn't swap it. No, I definitely wouldn't. No, it was kind of extraordinary. It's a weird thing to say. It was extraordinary, but it was. I mean, it was fucking nuts. And the, the extent to which it was awful, horrible, and then stepping outside of it and watching this process happen was kind of astonishing. It's like, wow, that that's actually that thing you hear happens. Wow. You hear about the death rattle or you hear about the flesh mm -hmm. going cold. and you, I mean, it's terrible. I, and it's my mother, but it's like it was extraordinary. You know, well, what do you think was, about the, uh, there's sort of this existential view about death, which is that you, that, you know, this is like Jean-Paul Sartre and uh, Camus, and they all said, well, you have to think about death a lot so that then your life will be more meaningful. Like it'll mm -hmm. have some more impact or, or uh, gravitas or something. So some people think, you know, you're not, it's the philosophical position. You have to think about death. Otherwise you're just uh, blindly going through life. Yeah. 
It, it could also be philosophers justifying their, right. their thinking. Their morbidity. Which has got to sell books. But I also found that people who work in death, like, they, I would much rather be in a pub full of people who work in the death industry ah. than, than actors. Sorry, Paul. Oh, <laughs> here we go. Wow, I didn't see that coming. Jesus Christ. You were way late on Wow, that. holy crap. So the big guns come out well, wow, well into the interview. Holy shit. Okay, tell me more. I want to know, no. Because frankly, uh, to be honest, Haley, me too. Uh -huh. But I want to hear why. I want to hear why you say that. Well, I found that people who work with dead bodies, there's a lack of ego and a lack of, uh, you know, you know <laughs> they just seem to have made some kind of okayness, you know, with with everything that is going to happen. They're and salt of they're the earth like, types. They're like, fuck it, let's have a drink. Yeah. Whereas um, I've interviewed actors, On the other actors, hand, actors... Actors, my God, I, like you're in a room full of neuroses and ego and, and all sorts of stuff. Um, but you just feel safe in a room full of people who work with dead bodies, which... I, that, that makes sense. You're yeah. not safe in a room full of actors, let me tell you. <laughs> definitely, it's definitely not a very safe place. In theory, though, actors, uh, the right kinds of actors should have mm -hmm. people who are expanding themselves and 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 utilizing their empathy to such a degree mm. that they should be like people who work in the death industry but unfortunately a lot of them aren't mm -hmm. hashtag not all actors <laughs> <laughs> thank you wow no i i hear you i would rather not i would rather not too. well drag. Drag. I, so we don't always learn uh things in the chin way but i have learned that um uh, the death industry workers are more pleasant than actors, and so that's yes. a crucial bit of information. That's absolutely, yeah, don't mm -hmm. hang around. Yeah, have a drink with a with a mortician and not an actor, and not an actor in the future. <laughs> this was really this is amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, super fun. Oh, thank yeah. you for having me. Yeah, really, really a pleasure. And the book is great. It's really yeah, awesome. It's Beautifully written. Really awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Chinwag is a production of Treefort Media and Touchy Feely Films, hosted and executive produced by Paul Giamatti and Stephen Asma. Executive producers for Treefort are Kelly Garner and Lisa Ammerman. Dan Carey is executive producer for Touchy Feely. Our series producer is Rachel Whitley Bernstein. Original theme music by Luke Topp, with additional music by Via Mardot. Oscar Guido is our executive in charge of production. Tom Monahan is head of audio for Treefort. Animation created by Alex Sokol. Editing and mixing by Jeff Neal. Lastly, for more information, go to chinwagpod.fm and find us on Instagram or TikTok at chinwagpod or on Twitter at chinwag underscore pod. <laughs>